This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, it's been a heck of a week. And we're back in the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward to round up the news. From the debates sparked by the Club Q shooting to the latest protests over the possible closure of an indigenous charter school. And of course, our official maybe for your weekend. Today is Friday, December 2nd, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city that once again finds itself in December without a good football team to cheer for. (laughs) Unless, of course, you're like me and you're excited to watch the U.S. take on the Netherlands at the World Cup on Saturday. I'm here with Bree, as usual. Bree, Broncos on Sunday or World Cup on Saturday? Are you watching either? What do you think, Paul? I'm on a Hallmark movie kick. It is holiday season, baby. Mm-hmm. I love those garbage romances. What's the best one so far? There's one that, t- well, the problem is they all have the same name. They're like, Holly's Holiday, Christmas in Love, Christmas, this, this. <laughs> and I watched this one where this uh, woman is the executive that runs a mall and she <gasps> falls in love with the sexy mall I saw Santa. this one. It's very good. How I much love it. The perceived power the manager of a mall has, I loved it. Uh, and the whole sexy Santa character, that was... Yeah, that guy looks like a boom like Boomhauer in real life, like the cartoon mm-hmm. Boomhauer. He looks like. Anyway, I'll find out. I'll I'll tweet out what that movie was because it is worth it. Please do. I co-sign that recommendation. I can't believe I've seen that one. I don't <laughs> I watch that kind that of movie. Um, anyway, we have one of our favorite guests back in the mix this Friday. She was a fixture at Colorado Public Radio for many years. Now writes a monthly column for the Denver Post and hosts her podcast, Been There, Done That. Joanne Allen, welcome back. And I have a confession to make. I love holiday movies. I know. I saw TV. you freaking out over there. I was like, oh, Joanne's uh, on our page. Hallmark, you know, regularly made or whatever i just i just have holiday movies on you know the plot you right. know what's gonna happen you know immediately outcome, within the first scene who's falling in love with who yeah like it's exactly but you watch it you watch anyway, it anyway because it's just soothing it is you know it just feels like we need something to soothe us especially now yeah so i have no qualms <laughs> Telling people that I love those cheesy holiday movies. Love them. They're so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Joanne, I, I mentioned the Broncos. <laughs> Last time you were here, you talked about your disappointment with Russell Wilson, the quarterback this year. Have you been watching as the season's been playing out? I have been watching. Uh, unfortunately, I said that I thought I would stop watching. I think I said that back when I was here a few weeks ago. I haven't stopped. And I hate myself for it (laughs) because, you know, but here's the other thing is I watch to see how terrible they can be Mm. and if they can get worse. And 
every Sunday with our whatever day of the week it is, without fail, they get worse. You think you've hit a new low, and it gets even lower. So it's kind of a, an amazing fiasco now. Yeah, I, I have stopped watching. It has been too bad. But I did see a clip of the players yelling at each other on the sideline yeah. last week. That's that's a bummer. That's embarrassing. And, you know, you can't, you know, I, I love Russell Wilson. Well, let's say I used to love Russell Wilson. Um, but you can't blame one person. It's really a, a concerted effort to be bad. I agree with that, but... There was so much hype for Russell Wilson, yeah. right? Like kind of too much. There yeah. was just so much press and social media pomp and circumstance about it. I think there was high expectations that he didn't deliver on, but now also the rest of the organization is not delivering on. Well, you know, the thing that really gets my goat, is that the saying gets my goat? Sure. sure yeah, yeah, okay. The thing that really gets me is the fact that they don't seem to take responsibility Whenever you listen, and I know you guys don't, to the after-game news conference, they never say, you know what? We suck. We are horrible. (laughs) We need to do something different, and we're sorry. They just say over and over and over, both Russell and uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the coach, just keep saying, well, we got to keep getting better. We got to work hard. We got to get in there and do it for the team and for our fans. They just never admit that they are They're just like doing boring sports platitudes. That's interesting. I never watched that, but I do watch. I watch the Nuggets, obviously. And Mm. I feel like basketball is pretty good at being like, well, we failed in the second half or like we did terrible. Like we could have done this better, Hmm. but the Broncos are not doing that. No, no ownership of their. No. And, and, and other and the Broncos in the past have admitted and owned up to their failures and faults and, and how they're not keeping their promise to be a decent team at least. But these two, this tandem of Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett just cannot seem to say, you know what? We're horrible. We're sorry. We're going to really try. All they do, all they say is we're going to keep trying and we're going to get in there. And Russell works the hardest of anybody I know. And we got to make plays and we, we got to, we got to, we got to. Well, by the 12th week, honey, you should have already got to. I think they're suffering from toxic positivity. Perhaps. <laughs> telling a story Perhaps. that is not true. No one's believing it. I don't know. Go watch the Nuggets. Sorry. Vlako Chanchkar, Chanchar uh, Jokic's BFF is doing amazing. It's so much more fun. They're winning. They're good. They killed Houston earlier this week. If you want to watch a Denver team just rule right now, I, I recommend switching to the Nuggets. Yeah, that's, that's what my I recommend. That's could my be, recommendation. Could be time. Yeah, could be time. I think it is time. Well, let's get into the news here because um, our our top story is is unfortunately still the ongoing fallout from the Club Q shooting in Colorado Springs, which was almost two weeks ago now, um, and we're still learning new details every day. There's a lot to unpack, including the latest I saw last night uh, or maybe a couple nights ago from the owner of the club, who's pledged that the club will reopen, which I think is good news. Um, but Joanne, I want to start with you. What are your takeaways from the shooting two weeks out? Well, I came out in, oh, the early 70s. And so wow. when, yeah, no, honey. <laughs> no, I mean, trip. I'm just thinking about that time. Yeah. I can't yeah. fathom. That's yeah. incredible. It, it was uh, quite a time because 
being gay, lesbian, and those were the only two categories known at that time or spoken of. You had to be very, very secretive. And there was a place to go to in every city. You could find a little bar. For me, when I was coming out, it was a place called The Back Door in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And I would go there as much as I could to find that community, that camaraderie, that companionship. And it was a very, very safe space. So when people who go to Club Q, especially the trans people, Mm -hmm. talk about it being a safe space, it takes me back to understanding and knowing what that's like. I don't do the club scene (laughs) anymore. I just don't, you know, once you (laughs) hit a certain age, you just don't do it. But I, it took me back to remembering those times of feeling proud and feeling free, but within those confines. And I'm thinking now with the, with this being, you know, the 2022s heading into 23, that, for what I felt back in the 70s is a lot of what trans people are feeling now. That thing of we need this place. So I'm really glad to hear that the owner says that that they're not going to give up, that they're going to keep going. Because it is vital to some people's ability to be themselves, at least in that space. And then that helps them to take it with them when they go out. If you get that power and that energy when you're in Club Q, then you still feel it once you leave. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I can't speak from personal experience except from the perspective. There's somebody in my family who identifies as non-binary. So I've seen a little bit of how they go through the world and how hard it's been. And just, and lately, especially they, they have this sense that of being embattled of being like, when, when we talk about a safe space, like I didn't really understand that before, but there's so many tiny cues in everyday life that say, oh, this is not a place for you. This, this place is not shaped for you. And it's just, um, it's very hard. And it seems like it's been very hard lately, especially. Well, and talking about the spaces, uh, Joanne, I know a couple of years ago, there was a documentary about the last lesbian bars in the country, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a handful. There's very few. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also been this ongoing conversation about, do we need queer spaces like this? Like, And I think it's honestly coming more from straight people because we've infiltrated a lot of queer bars as a straight person that's spent a lot of time in gay bars. Um, and it's... It's like, does this have to happen for us to realize, like, no, we need these spaces more than ever right now. People need a place to feel safe that is where they, like you said, that freedom within sort of a space. Yeah. The total freedom. And like, I grew up in the 90s and um, I worked in retail for a very long time. Majority of my friends and family around through that work are queer people. And sometimes our work was our safe space where we could all be together and be ourselves. And I don't know. I'm just thinking a lot about what a safe space is lately. And do we, do we have them? You know, they are still needed. All you have to do is listen to the people who were at club Q and the people who patronize it, but may not have been there that night. And they say, yeah, this is our home. This is where we feel good. This is where we, We make community where we have community. These spaces are still needed. It feels as though it's needed now 
even more than ever with the attacks that are happening, you know, from legislatures trying to determine what parents can do with their kids who are in need of medical attention. I mean, anyone who doubts that this kind of space like Club Q is needed and just simply goes and tries to make laws banning what a parent know their child needs. Mm. I mean, those folks need to go and talk to queer people, talk to trans people, non-binary people, and see who are you? What are you about? I'm, I shouldn't just sit up here on Capitol Hill and make laws and de- to, to determine your lives. The parent who's, who has a kid who's lived with that kid, who loves that kid, who knows what that kid needs, should be the one who makes the decision. A person who needs to transition, a person who needs to be non-gender in public, talk to them, ask them. Don't just make assumptions about what they who they are, what they need, based on, on what you hear from the, the pulpit on Sunday morning. Talk to them. Talk to people. Learn about them. And then maybe you can start to determine for yourself what your ideas are. It just really gets my goat again mm-hmm. that people are saying, oh, I know what's best here. We need to be male, female. We need to be black, white. We know It's like this, 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 this. And that's all we can do or that's all we can be. It's not right talk to people. That's why I'm believing in the idea of make yourself aware of the varying transgender and gender non-conforming categories that there are. Because in that way, if you educate yourself, if you learn what these things mean, if you take them to heart and be a human being about it, there won't be the kind of animosity that we're feeling. It doesn't mean you have to understand 100% what's up, but at least familiarize yourself with who people are, how they want to be addressed, and what you can do to improve this this human experience that we all are in. Well, th- this is a, a very difficult issue that you're bringing up, this, like, how how to address people, how, how people want to identify. Um, and it's, again, I mean... It's not difficult, though, Paul. It's For some pe- people. For some people it is. But I think it's, it gets back to what Joanne's saying, too, which is maybe it's because you don't know any non-binary people. Like I think, it's, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's deeper than that. And again, I'm going to talk about this, you know, my family, just one anecdote here. But I have seen, you know, since this person I mentioned earlier has come out as non-binary and has, you know, changed the way they think of themselves over the years, the people around them, their loved ones have struggled with pronouns. Sure. This is a difficult thing for them. And I think when your kid decides they want to be identified by a different pronoun or like understands who they are in a different way, it's hard sometimes to change your expectations of the future. Because when you have a daughter, you have, I, I don't know, I don't know I, this part, but I think when you have a daughter, you, maybe you, you have an idea in your head about what their wedding might be like, or like what, you know, them having a kid might feel like being a grandparent. And then that turns out to not be the case. And it turns into this very hard personal transition that you have to go through as well but i don't know help me understand paul though is that it's because people who are struggling with it don't want to face their own stuff yeah 
again, I'm a new parent. I have all these ideas of what my son is going to be or who he's going to be, what he's going to do, what he's going to like, what he's going to be like. I watched him in a, a play class with a bunch of kids the other day. My husband sent me a video of it. And I was nervous for him because he wasn't doing as well socially as I wanted him to, even though this was the first moment that he was in an interactive class with other kids in this way. And I was like, whoa, I have all these ideas and expectations of this child. And we have to realize we have those expectations for everyone around us. And sometimes they surprise us. Sometimes they disappoint us. Sometimes they confound us. But that's like the human experience is yeah. understanding we are constantly challenging our own ideas of who we are, who those we love are, and what that reflects, what we think that reflects to other people. Hmm. And also, when you turn the spotlight on the person who's being affected by the person who is struggling, that then that person who's a family member becomes the issue, becomes right. becomes the one that we have to focus on. And we forget about the person who's in the struggle themselves. So you can't just say, well, I expected my daughter to have this wedding and a white dress and a handsome man and all of this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, so what? What is your daughter struggling with? Your daughter is really a son. Why not focus on that? That's mm-hmm. where that's where the spotlight should be on and trying to understand and forget about who you are as the parent. Think about the child. Hmm. Well, okay, so there there's a specific example of this that I, I really want y- you two to help me tease out because one character that has really risen to the top of this story that I think a lot of people are talking a lot about is Richard Fierro. He was the man in the club who saw the shooter he and he says he went into combat mode he's a veteran and he went and he took the shooter down and he stopped the shooting from happening saved probably a lot of people's lives we referred to him as a hero in our newsletter i still feel that way um but i found this clip of him uh uh some footage from denver 7 i want to play for y'all and get your reaction because i think there's some interesting stuff in here about what it means to be an ally i didn't ask for this we went to a a, a club to watch my daughter's Junior prom date uh, perform. Uh, Wyatt, little Wyatt, he's now he's potted, potted plant, potted plants his drag name. Okay, I have no shame with any of this. I I I, I support my community, whoever that is. Okay, I love everybody, um, and I've never said anything different. I joke, that's who I am. Uh, but people people know that the Fieros are there for them if they're part of their life. Okay. Listen, there's video and all kinds of stuff. I don't know if I'm even telling it right. I just know I got into mode and I needed to save my family. And that family was, at that time, everybody in that room. Brie, what do you think? This is such a, to me, this is what wholesomeness is. And I realize that wholesomeness is so subjective. Like to me, a dad going to a show to support his daughter's, um, you know, partner or friend just having it like I'm getting just upset about it he was just being a supportive parent in a queer space like I couldn't ask for anything more if I was that kid my Hmm. parents there supporting me and bringing the fam this was a family affair he was there with his family celebrating his family How, how is that I just to me, that's the most wholesome thing 
about this guy is like he loves his family. Yeah, it, it, that that really comes through. Um, but there is the one piece in there that that I feel like is a point of tension sometimes, and that's where he says, "Sometimes I make jokes." But that at the end of the like day, so people real though. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. Joanne, like, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that sometimes we do make jokes, and we don't mean them in the way some people who hate actually means them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, you can be human around this issue. You can be someone who struggles with pronouns. You can be someone who says the wrong pronoun and then correct yourself. Just so long as you correct yourself and move on and keep trying to learn. And, and, and even maybe if you go, well, and she, they, you know, just do it. Don't hold yourself back because you feel like, oh, I can't make a mistake here or I can't say a stupid joke. Sometimes the joke is funny. If it's not, Mm -hmm. then the person who you are joking about will let you know it. And that's cool, too, because then you learn from that. So don't hold yourself back because you don't know how to do this perfectly. You know, keep moving. Keep trying. Keep working. I worked with someone closely who is non-binary. And I, every now and then, would have to catch myself. And that was, that was okay with them. It's like, yeah, okay, I know your, what your heart is. I know you've been programmed to think of me as a she, but that's not what I am. And that's fine. Just don't give up. Don't say because I don't know all the answers, I can't continue to move forward. There will not be a test at the end of the day. Nobody needs to get an A. Just keep doing the right thing. And struggling is what life is all about, no matter, no matter what realm we're in. So accept the struggle and keep moving forward. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Bree, I've got a hard question for you. Uh, Joanne talked about the people, the messaging people get from the, the pulpit on Sundays. Um, but that's not the only place people are informed about these issues. You know, the media is a big part of this too. We had an experience covering this shooting, you know, the Sunday afterwards, we logged on, talked about how we were going to cover this, how we we're going to talk about this. And we decided to reach out to Heidi Beetle and talk about the increasing conservative attacks on the LGBTQ community leading up to the shooting. But since then, we've learned a lot more that's kind of complicated that narrative. And I want to talk about that narrative and how you feel about that. So for example, the defense attorneys for the shooter in some filing early on, they said, that uh, the shooter identifies as non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. I'm trying to find, hold on, sorry. I'm trying to find, Chase Woodruff had this tweet that encapsulated exactly how the media is doing this. Like, I I don't know how to talk about, I'll be honest with you, Paul, I don't know how to talk about this. Okay. Because from what I understand, up until that moment, that gentleman had never used those pronouns. Yeah. Like he threw them out there. Yeah. That's what that's I, my now understanding it's as well. a conservative talking point. Like, oh, now you don't respect someone's pronouns because it's like he's, he weaponized something. Like yeah. that's point blank what he did. And I know that's that's exactly right. That was my feeling in the very beginning, because whenever something bad happens and you are a member of that group. You always go, oh, my God, if it's a shooting, I'm like, God, I hope it's not a brother. You know, I hope it's not a black guy. Or or in this situation, it's like, I hope it's not someone who hates themselves because they're queer. But I don't think this was the case. I don't think so either. It just smells. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. What are we doing here? What are you saying? And if if this has never happened before, this is never he's he has never been described that way before. Why is it suddenly something? So 
noted right wing nut job Matt Walsh tweeted. The Colorado Springs shooter came out as non-binary, and the story just went away, evaporated into thin air. Amazing how that works. And Chase Woodruff uh, at Colorado Newsline said, What's actually happened is that journalists have continued to report details about the suspect's edgelord homophobia, day of texts from family using he, him, the the father's reaction, court appearance, booking photo, etc., all of which have made, quote, this is a troll much more likely. Like he was trolling people. So that's how exactly how I felt about it. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this guy is messing with he's he's Mm -hmm. stepping into this quote unquote culture war that's been created um, around fear of people and um, and just made tried to make it more about him, Mm. which is like kind of what I think a lot of these let's be honest, mostly white men do in these situations where now as journalists, we've decided to stop naming them, to stop centering their stories. He managed to center that story on himself again. Hmm. And we've really made a point and a shift in the last couple of years to not focus on the shooters, to focus on the victims and the survivors. And he has literally made it about himself. Hmm. And you know what else this does? Him saying he's he's non-binary, I think also says well this can't be a this can't a, be a, a this, motivated it's not a, a hate crime. this is not, not a, a hate, hate crime, crime right. right this can't be a hate crime because which is a you know, lie you it, don't walk into a queer establishment that's decades old and kill a bunch of people I, it's just come on man yeah yeah it's insulting well joanne is there anything else you want to add i do and it's it's um um i want to direct people to my podcast because two years ago, I interviewed Mia Yamamoto, who is a uh, longtime activist, a trans and civil rights attorney in Los Angeles, who transitioned from male to female at the age of 60. And in our conversation, I learned a whole lot about what it means to be trans in America. And I just, you know, at the very beginning, She says, growing up transgender is to always feel displaced, out of touch, hidden, as well as ultimately despised. She said that when she was growing up, being transgender, you were the queerest of the queer. Even gays and lesbians looked down on transgender people years ago. It feels like a lot of that hatred is returning, not on the part of gays and lesbians. I mean, think about it. Nobody gets freaked out about gays and lesbians anymore. It's trans people. It's non-binary folks. It's um, folks who are not gender conforming. Think about how far we've come with gays and lesbians. We have miles to go before we sleep to start thinking of the newer unaccepted categories of people to um, in order to to make them whole and in, in, to make them a part of this country. We must, we must pay closer attention. And I think the shooting, unfortunately, has put a spotlight on it. But then how long does that last? And trans people have been sounding this alarm bell for, I mean, for decades, for sure. But in the last couple of years, especially sort of post-Trump, um, I think I follow a lot of uh, 
trans journalist, Heidi Beetle, again, a friend of the show. I actually knew Heidi Beetle before as a mom and a volunteer at Girls Rock Denver. That's how we mm. met. Mm-hmm. was like, I mean, that's kind of a, a queer space to begin with. But um, I knew her first as a mom before she became a reporter. Um, but I also follow Caitlin Burns, Parker Malloy, these folks that are in in community living as trans people also having to report on their experience every day like listen to trans people they are telling you what is happening to them and they and it's i think it's hard for a lot of cis folks to really un fully and deeply understand how it feels to be targeted in this way it's so terrifying mm. Well, we'll put a link to that episode in our show notes so people can uh, enjoy that this weekend. And I think it's time for a short break. We'll be back with something else. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And we're back. So this next thing is something of a follow-up to two stories that we've been following on the podcast. First, it was about a year ago that we visited the American Indian Academy of Denver, which is a new charter school in Athmar Park, uh, to learn about how they were catering their curriculum to indigenous students. Very interesting new project. And now this week, dovetailing with the whole school closures conversation that the the Denver Public Schools Board has been having, um, dozens of parents and students uh, associated with the American Indian Academy of Denver attended a board meeting to plead with the board not to close their school. And I think it's appropriate to start our conversation with some testimony from a parent. I will fight 20 years for my kids who will be in the school at least five but I will fight like hell because you Indian givers gave my children a safe place to go to school where my son is not bullied because of his hair as he was last year. And every blonde-haired, blue-haired, every blonde-haired, blue-eyed teacher turned their back until my son punched a kid. And then who was in trouble? The little brown boy with long hair. So I, I just wanna ask you guys, don't be an Indian giver. Be a giver to the Indians who we deserve this. We deserve this space. We were given a building that has no grass, that has no playground. And I'm sorry for taking up space, but I would also like to request that my two children get to speak as well. Thank you. Wow. So Joanne, what's your uh, response to that testimony? Well, I believe that there is no way Denver Public Schools should cut this program get rid of this charter school. I don't care what it costs because the what we owe indigenous people is far beyond the reparations that we're going to give them. So if you hear, again, back to parents, listen to what parents are saying about their kids and what they need and how they can perform better if they're in a certain environment, which is, you know, this case. Listen to the people who are affected by what your policies are. Really sit down and talk to them and say, 
why is it that we should keep this school? And don't just blow them off at some public hearing and just continue on with what you want to do. It doesn't matter what it costs. Keep the damn school open, period. Was that strong? No, I think that I think that's great. I mean, that was my first reaction too. But then I have to say, this got more complicated for me when I listened to what Superintendent Alex Marrero said. He, his response to this this uh, protest was, uh, he said he was flabbergasted. He said he's never proposed closing the school, um, even though they do have uh, low enrollment. It's an under-enrolled school and underfunded as a result. But yet here we are. So. So is this a non-issue if if uh, the superintendent says he never had a, an idea to close the school? Well, I don't know. Bree, what do you think? I think from what I understand, it wasn't that th- there's been any announcement of potential closure of the school. Like the earlier conversations we've had uh, about school closures, this is a funding issue. There's just not enough money to run the school, which is when money is tied to enrollment, this can be what happens. I went back and listened to our episode that Avery Lill did when she was ho- hosting CityCast for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did a interview. She's Chickasaw. And she did an interview with the um, the founder of the school, Terry Bisonette. And um, it was so compelling just to hear and understand why the school was necessary. Again, I have a child eventually who's going to be sent to a school in some capacity. For me, cultural relevancy to his community is very important. Our community is Spanish speaking. He will most likely go to a Spanish speaking school to be around the kids that are in his neighborhood. I think that's probably where this school struggles a little bit. Like she, this teacher or this parent even said, this is a school in a parking lot. Like there's no grass. I know exactly where this is. It's in an Athmar Park strip mall. It's a 50s strip mall surrounded by a sea of parking lots. If anything, what this brought attention to for me is why does the school not get to coexist in another school, another physical building where kids would have access to the playground, where they would maybe be able to share some resources, but still have that culturally responsive and culturally relevant curriculum teachers that reflect who they are and their experiences we've we've learned we know we know this when children learn from people who have similar experiences to them they do better in the world so if indigenous children here could have more of an opportunity to be taught by indigenous teachers like that's setting kids up for success so i think really this the, the thing here that I think Denver Public Schools should do is find a new location for this school that's maybe more um, that, where they could share their resources and not have the burden of having a whole building to themselves. Um, and I, I mean, because charter schools coexist all the time in other schools. And I, and I don't know. I don't know what, what the setup was to get the school there in this particular location. But I also just wonder if um, there's not enough known about the school so parents don't know they could send their kids there. We also know, you know, percentages of indigenous people in this city are much lower than other demographics, but it doesn't mean there aren't kids there that are interested. Because I also wondered, I was like, do you have to be indigenous? You don't. You just, you don't have to be indigenous to go there. So if you have a sixth grader and you think this is the curriculum for your kid, you can send them there. Hmm. So I think it's a matter of maybe DPS getting behind the school a little bit more instead of just letting it flail and then being like, oh, I can't understand why people think this might be closing because it has no money. Yeah, I think that's the root cause is there's just not enough money to provide the services that these kids actually need. And that we're the fact that we're hearing about these needs now and the fact that this this special project was, you know, attempted, you know, that just points to that deeper issue to me. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I just I'm wondering why did DPS let it get to this point? Exactly. They kind of knew what was happening in terms of funding. Uh, you know, they do. They always know what the where the money's at and what money is needed. Why didn't they step up and say, let's save this school? No matter what, let's get the funding. Let's make sure that we don't close the doors to a charter school that is doing so much good yeah. for young indigenous people. Don't give me that you can't you can't get the money. Don't want to hear it. You get the money for other things that I'm sure that are, are a priority. And then for Alex Moraro to say, what? We don't, we're not thinking about, where is this guy? I'm like, dude, where you been? Yeah. I mean, is that just how a that quote struck me was like, oh, so you're just not paying attention. Yeah. It's really what's going on. Yeah. And this is your job. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear good things about him in general, so I'm not putting him down. But on this issue, when you're the, the superintendent and you know that this indigenous school is a new thing, that will need help along the way. Don't act like, oh, wait, what? We never said that. You know, you knew. Come yeah. on, get the money, Alex. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's, it's another tricky situation, too, because this school is very new. They opened during the pandemic. And, like, I was watching testimony from parents and educators, and they were all saying, like, well, we've been struggling to attract students. You know, we're under-enrolled because we haven't been able to get the word out that we even exist. Yeah. So it's just like, it's a new thing. They're trying to get, they're trying to get people's attention. I, I don't know. Well, but, I, you know, it's like, yeah, don't condemn it mainly because it's needed, but also secondarily, it started at a difficult time in education. So for folks to be now saying, well, you know, it failed. Ah, let's move on. No, stop that. Do something different. Think about what you're trying to achieve and then think about what you need to do to reach that goal. Just say the goal is the most important thing here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how can the school get support in finding those students who could benefit from this school? They are all over the city. They are all over the metro area. My indigenous friends live in every neighborhood like every other demographic. Maybe they don't know they could send their kids there. Like... Just, I don't know. It, yeah, it feels, it just feels like a little bit of a failure on DPS's part, like yeah. setting up a school to fail and then wondering why it fails. Well, we'll be watching that story as it plays out. Um, but for now, we got to leave it there. And we got one more fun segment. We're going to take another quick break and be back with some recommendations for your weekend. It's time for the official CityCast Denver maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. Because as usual, there are so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, and we have opinions. Peyton Garcia rounds up her best bets in our newsletter, Hey Denver, every week. And she's here to give us her top picks. So, Peyton, what do you got for us? Okay, so this one you might see coming. Um, but the Netherlands versus the USA. 10 a.m. on Saturday. I think it's... Where I think it it's playing? 8 a.m. on Saturday. Is it 8 a.m.? Mm -hmm. What that's bars are open actually. at 8 a.m.? I mean, that's isn't that where people watch it? That's a great question. I was going to say, we have to bring this up because it's it's what everyone's talking about. It's the big it sports been the news snug. right now. The snug would have been the spot. Um, where is it now? But there are places you can watch it. Uh, and I have a list of those places in, in the newsletter. But one of the places that uh, really piqued my interest is Maria Empanada. Uh, they play it there, and I watched a soccer game there one time, and the like vibe is really, really fun. And I just oh, that's wow. love Maria Empanada and on Broadway. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I. It's all about the vibe because if everybody else in the 
in the places and into what you're watching yeah. it sucks no they they get they draw or at least the one time i saw like just a totally normal soccer match there um they draw a really good crowd for soccer matches i would so. imagine it would be tough to get in actually it might be and it's for not Argentina that big of a games, space especially I bet. yeah yeah but it would be cool if you can get in super early <laughs> to watch that game i think it'll be really fun i also saw that raices is um playing the game and i think serviceria nice too so those would be cool places i would imagine i also just want to shout out raises because if you have kids it's like a cool place it's a cool yeah. brewery that's super kid friendly i love hanging out there and i don't drink and it's great but the kids get to drink the <laughs> all you can drink for kids no but they have toys and stuff for kids. and i think oh, they're nice. actually yeah. side note i think they're doing a uh, holiday market this weekend as well oh, so cool. then you could knock out both of those things yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah. one more spot that i think would probably be super fun the, the rapids have partnered with the uh, the denver sports podcast network you know the podcast network that has that bar on Colfax. yeah yeah those guys DNVR bar. yeah they i've seen some oh. pictures they are packed for these games and they're doing Ooh. a brunch menu since the games are all in the morning that's so, so I smart bet that's, there you go that's gonna be a good yeah, time yeah that will be cool so there's places you could watch it we stream it maybe not legally at our house and watch it from our <laughs> on your giant tv with your <laughs> with amazing couches yeah exactly are you having people over is that what you're no. saying oh God, okay. no 8 a.m i thought maybe you were inviting some of us <laughs> to come over <laughs> no her husband's like an amazing chef too um, oh he is you sure you're Shout not out to willie's <laughs> cooking <laughs> you sure we can't uh, come over that's where we'll all be yeah Oops. yeah Payton's there house. you go um okay moving it to the next event mm -hmm. recommendation we've got the annual nine news parade of lights oh is that this weekend That's yeah nice. it's this weekend. It this weekend um happens every year it'll be at six o'clock if you don't want to go to it they also live stream it on um channel nine mm. so you can watch it from there and it starts at civic center park and then it goes like it like goes around 16th street mall it goes up 17th across arapaho and down 15th did you guys ever do that uh, I did. My favorite memory of the parade is when Santa started doing crowd work. <laughs> he got up and was like, hey, yeah, how are you? Merry Christmas. <laughs> working, here. working the line. Yeah, huh? It was really entertaining, actually. You know, every time it's come around, for, I, I want to do it. But then six o'clock in the evening, is it six? Yeah, yeah, I would also recommend do not drive anywhere no. near yes, the no. parade route. If no. you're trying to get anywhere downtown, keep that in mind because it will save you a lot of stress. Don't even yes. take Uber, right? Yeah, don't just, do anything yeah. around this is that. not just a recommendation, but a warning. Yeah, I have accidentally driven into that traffic before and then you'll never you'll, you'll be never stuck get there all night but I, I hope the weather's going to be good because i know That's, a couple of times i've been deterred by the weather i was like it's notably freezing ass cold yeah it's yeah. i mean it's not <laughs> gonna be snowing i don't think but it'll be like where it's nice during the day but chilly it'll, it'll hit 30s yeah. at Just night bundle and up. it'll be cold bundle but up. one insider's tip for the parade of lights i enjoyed it one year um my my wife and I used to live in the Golden Triangle, and that's where the parade sort of they get ready. You prepare and they stage. So if you want to see people like the band get together and rehearse and stuff, and like how the actual parade get comes together, they do oh. this like zippering. So there's mm. enough different kinds of floats and other so entertainment like two, types together. Two pipes really interesting to come together to build the one parade. Yeah. Oh, so I if you want it. a little backstage look into the how a parade is made. Oh, Go to like the Golden that. Triangle at like yeah. 5.30. That's yeah. cool. Also, it'll be warmer at that point, too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 
And then also happening this weekend, Stranahan's Snowflake batch. Oh, so the every Snowflake year, whiskey. Yeah, Stranahan's whiskey drops a super rare, super unique, only made once whiskey batch, right, Paul? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, this oh, is right. you know quite a bit about this. And um People line up, people camp out to get this. It's like super limited amount and you can't pre-order. You have to just show up on the day and hope that you you get one. But they, they make it a whole, it's a whole festival. So I guess on Friday they have stuff going on at the Denver Distillery all day long. They've got like a cornhole tournament, some live music, wow. some whiskey barrel making demonstrations. Uh, and then... Saturday morning is when they'll actually release the bottle and they don't tell you when they release it. You wait until that morning and you get there. That's going to be an all night. I know. And they, they actually like, you're allowed to like bring tents or RVs and like camp out. And then there's a festival that happens all day where there's live music, food trucks, um, whiskey and cheese pairings, things like that. And where is that exactly? That'll be at the Denver, uh, Stranahan's distillery. Where is that? That's like right off I-25. Yeah, it's like Down Alameda South. and Kalamath, mm-hmm. Santa Fe. What are you thinking, Paul? I don't know. I'm not like so into whiskey that I want to make that big of a commitment personally. But I think for people who are, probably be a fun scene. No yeah, count. especially if you if you are into whiskey and you get a yeah. one of a kind uh, uh, chance to to drink some some whiskey. It's like I, I'm not a whiskey. I'm not a drinker either. But I mean, I, I like wine. <laughs> I don't drink hard liquor. But if you like whiskey, I could see, you know, getting it together to be there. All right, Peyton, what else we got? All right. And then this last one's I, I wanted to just throw in kind of an off the wall one. Um, Denver Public Library is hosting an Ethiopian coffee ceremony mm. on oh, Saturday afternoon. Great. Yeah, it's, it's like an hour, but you go in and I, from everything I can tell, it's free. Um, and they'll have somebody in there who's going to teach you all about the process of roasting Ethiopian coffee. And it's like there's a whole ceremony to it. And you'll learn a little bit about the culture. And um, there's going to be snacks and coffee, coffee tasting. And it sounds kind of fun. That does sound fantastic. I've always meant to go to the Whittier Cafe yeah, I was for gonna their say, they version do a, of this. They do a coffee ceremony. Oh, they too. do? Uh-huh. Up on 25th? Uh-huh. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And this one's at the Bob Ragland Library. Where's the, oh, that's the that's new, the new that's reopened the new one, one in the Rhino Art Park Library. Yeah. Oh. It's yeah, a yeah, cute. Yeah. It's a really cute library. Yeah, so check yeah, it out. Probably cool. be a good time. You can really get your buzz on, boy. It's like yeah. when you do a coffee Some tasting, it's coffee. like uh, 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 all day yeah. long. And I'm sure it's. I think everything at the library is free. So yeah, yeah. So what do we think? What's the best bet for me? It's Parade of Lights Same. or the soccer game. I'm Parade of Lights guy myself. I'm, uh, uh, me too. It it would be Parade of Lights. All right. That's like, the I one feel then. if you want to get in, that's like an old Denver tradition to yeah, me. Yeah. Like, if you want to really feel in in the city, that's like, that is the thing. I, that's a, a moment from my childhood that I love that still yeah. exists. I grew up, perfor- I was a dancer and a cheerleader all growing up, so we performed oh, in it every wow. year. Oh, my yeah. God. Hey, hey, give us what? a cheer. <laughs> it, it was fun. No, I can't do any cheers. You guys, come on. Come on. Give us no a cheer. Way. I want to hear one. <laughs> I don't remember. But they would teach us little, like, walking jigs to, like, Christmas songs, and we would just be like, oh, you my know. God, little Peyton. <laughs> so cute. Halls. Deck yeah. the halls. There you go. They would like, and it was fun. They'd, like, wrap you up in Christmas lights, and it was fun. Yeah. Well, that's definitely it, then. That's awesome. Well, can I give a quick plug for the newsletter? Because I know... 
that a lot of our podcast listeners aren't necessarily newsletter readers. And it's a very different experience from our show that I think people maybe don't know if they don't read it. Peyton rounds up the news. You give us great events every day of stuff to do. There's fun facts about, if you want to get to know the city really well, there's neighborhood profiles. There's all kinds of things in our newsletter that you don't get out of the podcast. It's really complimentary to what we do. So please subscribe. You can do that by texting Denver to 66866. So simple. It's so simple. And you can get a Hey Denver newsletter in your inbox Monday through Friday. And you'll hear from me every single every day. day. You every hear from Peyton. You don't hear from me or Paul. You hear from Peyton. Well, thanks, Peyton. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Peyton. It was yeah. fun. That was fun. Well, Joanne, Bree, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank thanks. you, Bree. Thank thanks, you, Peyton. Joanne. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Peyton. <laughs> Good night, John Boy. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Twitter, at CityCast Denver, and tell Richard Fierro about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866, and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week.